at Vanderbilt. It's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys. Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood. And Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville. It's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 160. It is April 25th, 2022. We are powered by the great folks at Alaco Finewood Floors and well, the Vandy boys take the series over Kentucky, two to one, two games to three. And it obviously it was it was a tough grinded out series, especially Saturday and Sunday. Friday, they got the combined no hitter from Chris McElvain and Christian Little. The two Chris's uh, were, were going at it there for, for, for Vanderbilt. But but well, they, they got the win over Kentucky. Now they got two straight SEC series victories under their belt. And for this type of team, they're young. That matters like like that matters. Will and and, and so I think. I think this will carry them uh, a little bit further than, you know, than of course anything else would, but they got the win and, and that's all that matters. Yeah. The, and they, the bats got going a little bit, obviously mm-hmm. you saw that in the first game and they won the two games in a little bit different fashion. They dominated on Friday. Uh, then of course lost the game. The offensive output wasn't great in game two and then came back and I saw a lot of tweets, including, I think maybe you put one out about this being such a huge game. Because it mm-hmm. came down on Sunday against Kentucky, not just for that series, but for this team to remain at 500 after this Kentucky series. So mm-hmm. to make it to nine and nine versus eight and ten, something about that nine and nine just feels a lot better. Like you're in a better place. It feels a lot better 10, than eight and ten, especially yeah. where this team started. I mean, they've won six out of the last seven. Seem things seem to be going in the right mm-hmm. direction, and it's interesting. Tim Corbin had some quotes. So I've got a. Got to find him here before we get to it, but about that uh, rotation in the bullpen and Christian yes. Little maybe settling in uh, yeah. to where he's going to end up there. And then also Nick Maldonado's back, Will. That, that was a big one, big guy, big figure, key figure we talked about before this season that if they're able to have Maldonado at his best, this team's at a different level. So we'll get into baseball. We'll recap the Vanderbilt-Kentucky series from this weekend. We'll touch a little bit on the A&M series this weekend. Will, it's throwback weekend at the Hawk. So uh, I think it's dollar dog night on Thursday night. So uh, I think that should uh, should get a few more few more fans there inside the Hawk. But, uh, Will, I know you've got a little bit of football we'll also touch on. But Rhett Wiseman is going to join us a little bit later here on TDR After Dark. We've got a lot going on. It's our first try just take take us lightly everybody this is this is something this is off the cuff so uh don't don't write don't don't write this home nothing to write home about but hey i I, we're probably gonna look back at this one will and say hey we we improved a little bit yeah and billy you decided to we we had this signed up i think before episode 159 so we had this signed up before the last episode if only which we had so much to talk about. You had the spring game. We had baseball. We had basketball transfer news. We had Scottie Pippen Jr. announcing that he was going to be entering the NBA draft in the fallout from that and where this team was going to go. In this episode, we have we have Vandy Boys news. But other but than that, it. it's a little light on the uh, Vanderbilt news cycle here. Uh, but but I guess that's a good test, so it'll be a little bit shorter. Yeah, it's a good a test. Less time to go wrong first that would have been that would have been a that would have been a three-hour restream that that would have been interesting probably would have blown up on us but uh well before we get to the breaking news don't forget to follow us on twitter at door underscore report where we're actually streaming live right now on instagram door dot report like us on facebook subscribe to our youtube channel we're actually live there as well our podcast is available on anchor itunes spotify and google podcast and wider at it give our podcast five stars and a review on itunes it's now time for the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's uh 
funny. I'm looking at the old script. We got Scottie Pippen enters the NBA draft. No, it's a little, little bit after that, but we're going to start with baseball, Will. Uh, the Vandy boys take two of three from Kentucky. And uh, I know we're all fancy here with that little subscript there. We're going to, we're going to see how that goes today, but, uh, nice. but, uh, but Will, first SEC series victory on the road all season. This team hasn't had a road series victory all year up until this one against Kentucky, which kind of surprised me. There, there's certain stats this year that you see, and it just kind of surprises you a little bit about this team. But now they're 28 and 11 overall, nine and nine in SEC play. But will they're still not ranked? They're not in the top 25 yet, uh, according to D1Baseball.com. But the funny thing is, will they are eighth in the RPI? Like they they're they're a top 10 team according to the RPI rankings. But in college baseball, I think that's a little bit different. Like if this was basketball, Vanderbilt would would definitely still be a top 15 team in the rankings, but they're not. And their their overall body of work is really solid. But lately here in SEC play, there's not quite enough uh, for the D1 baseball guys to have them ranked. But, Will, if they're able to get this win against Texas A&M, I believe they'd be ranked. And, I I mean, would you agree? I mean, they get a win over Kentucky and you, you string a couple together, but – we never know with the with the D one baseball guys. I know I had we had Mike Rooney on. He was like, "Hey, you got do it one more time." Dude, they did against Kentucky, but there's so many good baseball teams at, at, at this time of year, especially. I mean, you've got a lot of non conference teams, uh, you know, mid major teams that are in that top twenty five. So I think they'd be ranked. I, I don't I don't know if you'd agree if if after they beat A and M. Yeah, I mean, if they're not and they win that series, that would be three what three straight series wins in in mm-hmm. the SEC as well as picking up your midweek games, which they have Louisville coming up as well, which is a bigger midweek game uh, than normal when you're playing one of these smaller conference schools. So that that will also factor in a little bit more mm-hmm. than a normal normal game that you would have there. So if they're not, maybe have have a talk with Mike for sure because I think yeah. they should. But you but you know if it, if anybody out there is listening for the first time, baseball, I will say Every, this everything is the about time it is year. different. This this is the time of year as well that I'm getting back into it a little bit more. That basketball's really shut down and mm-hmm. moving forward. The spring game's done, so this is when my focus shifts to baseball. And so that is also why Billy, I'm not extremely excited. This is our first uh, live episode here. I wish <laughs> I had is... more written down. I wish I would have had more time to to sit down and run through things. Well, yeah, if... this, this series coming up is is massive for them as far as if they want to be even considered as a regional host site at, at the end of the season, or even at this point, really, they were teetering at one point on thinking maybe not even at that two line, so much less a regional yeah. host site. So th- this team has a lot of work to do towards the end of the season, but when you play a lot of good teams in the SEC, that's a lot of opportunities to improve your uh, your postseason rankings and, and improve your stock there uh, for that yeah. bid. Yeah, and Will, they've got their toughest stretch coming up here of the season. Got A&M this weekend. He got two straight road series against top 20 teams at Georgia, who's second in the SEC East right now, and then at Arkansas, who's first in the West right now. So we're really going to see what this team is made of. All four of their next series, you got LSU there at the end at home, all four of their next series uh, against those teams, they're ranked in the top 25. And, and they've all got better conference records than Vanderbilt. So it's going to be a huge stretch, Will, to see really what this team and this kind of, you know, this young team is made of. And I'm going to start with, you know, Spencer Jones, Will, had a great weekend. I'm going to give him credit. Uh, he had a good good game against uh, your Golden Eagles at Tennessee Tech. Uh, he hit 375 uh, over, the, over the last four-game stretch, two doubles, six RBIs. He collected a hit in all four games as well and three extra base hits. So Spencer Jones, another guy that they, they just need. They need him to stay at the top, but they also need that bottom part of the lineup, Will, to – Start carrying their end, of, their their end of the bargain a little bit more. Uh, Devin Futrell will is interesting, and I want to talk about him because he has won every single midweek game he started. He's eight and zero. I mean, he's been perfect. He held Tex- t- Tennessee Tech scoreless over six innings, allowed only three hits, had six strikeouts. He's eight and zero on the season. He's got fifty strikeouts and five walks. Will we've seen this before? With we, we've seen it with Walker Bueller. In, uh, in 2014, we've seen it with Mason Hickman uh, back in 2018 where they start in the midweek and they, they dominate. They roll through the midweek teams and then Corbin plugs them in in, in Hoover or plugs them in in, the, in a regional, in a super regional, and they end up playing well. So, Will, I know Corb said Devin Futrell will probably uh, rest this week. He said that tonight on the coaches show. But, Will, if I'm Corbin, how do you put him in earlier 
Like, like, do you put him? In, do you insert him into a weekend? Maybe a Saturday, maybe a Sunday, maybe a bullpen start a little bit earlier, just because of they might need these wins. Like you were talking about it, they may need him earlier than than the postseason. Well, you're talking as if this pitching rotation is set, and there's really any anything that I think Tim Corbin's decided on when it comes to key games or when they get into crunch time. And I don't think that anybody really has fully proven out that outside of maybe you can say McIlvain and Christian Little now moving mm-hmm. into the into the rotation there and out of the bullpen and Maldonado coming back. But there, there's not a lot of things other than those three guys really that you've seen that you would say I am 100% confident. And correct me if I'm wrong there, Billy. Do you, do you have anybody else there that you would view and say I'm confident them stepping out in postseason play? I mean, you know, I think you're talking the whole rotation. You're talking McIlvain, Holton, and Cunningham. They've gone with the last who two are, Who are you outside of McIlvain there? Are you outside. fully confident there? I, not really. If I'm a Vandy fan, I'm not. You know, Carter Holton has pitched well at times, but he's also struggled at times. He's lost three games. You've seen the Sunday roll. They've been, you know, Bryce Cunningham has been thrown in there the last couple weeks, but they haven't seemed to to be able to find any sort of rhythm, especially Sunday. And then they're, they're just, there's a lot of shuffling. There's a ton of shuffling. So, yep. Will, that's why I asked you. Because, you know, maybe maybe this is a situation where Futrell is inserted maybe in the series against LSU, maybe a little bit earlier because of simply they need they need him, you know, because of numbers. I mean, there's a couple injuries before this season, Sam Laboki and then uh, Matthew Doolin, who, who didn't pitch, haven't pitched all season. They were supposed to be big guys in this rotation. So that's why I asked, well, I think I think it's a it's a question. And I, I don't think Corbin will do it because he's Tim Corbin and he has shown that. He's going to let his guys ride out through the, the regular season, and they are going to forget. They're going to throw everything that's that's happened in the regular season out the door, and then they're ready for the postseason. So that's a good question, Will. I, I think uh, you know, I think that's up up for discussion. I, and, I, I really do. I and think. I think we we talk a lot about pitching, and I think that's what we focused on as well because we always tend to focus on that with Vanderbilt because pitching is typically <laughs> what has carried them mm-hmm. into their championship runs, into their postseason play. But there are some guys in specific that I keep waiting on them to turn the corner, to start hitting the ball better in their names. And when I was listening to uh, last episode in the interview segment two, uh, you guys ran through some of those names that mm-hmm. are names. And I, yeah. I think he put it that way. He said, these are names Name that brands. should be yeah. hitting better. And Carter Young is so good in the field, but he's just not hitting the ball well. His average is low. Javier Vaz, especially in SEC play, his numbers have dropped down. Really, you're carried by the top of that lineup right now, and you just don't have at the bottom of that order guys that you think are going to be able to knock runs in, especially late in games. And that's what's really hamstrung this team more than the pitching, that that mm-hmm. it hasn't been up to the standards of two guys drafted in the top five and Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, but the pitching staff's been pretty good. And I think just the offensive consistency, and it feels like just Groundhog Day over and over and over that we have the same conversations at the same times of the year. And this feels a lot like last year with just, and I don't mean this in any condescending way, but this feels like a, a lot like last year without the pitching hype and the right. pitching guy and, and the guys and the arms there. Instead, you're just a notch down. Yeah. And when you're a notch down with an inconsistent offense, you're going to be teetering on that top 25 on that edge. And Vanderbilt had a tough schedule to start out SEC play and weren't playing their best baseball. So I, I don't think that we have a super big concern moving forward as far as uh, I think this team is getting back on track and we're watching it happen when when Vanderbilt fans would like to see it happen. But is this team built for a run? That is something that I think maybe temper expectations on that not every year, even though that has become the expectation, yeah. not every single season is a guaranteed team yeah. that you look at and say, this is a team that can not only make it to Omaha, but make a run in Omaha yeah. at a national championship. That's that's a really high bar to reach just year in, year out. I know Vanderbilt has done it since about 2012 20, or about mm-hmm. that time, but there are going to be years when just you say this is a team that probably caps out at, at the Super Regional. And I think right now, unless something changes on the offensive side, 
that that's just what's going yeah. to happen as the dog breaks in the dog uh, on the live stream. He, he does appearance. that. He does the, he does that pretty regularly on the normal <laughs> podcast. It's just usually there's not much video, so uh, you just hear the nails clocking. For a second. I love it. But, I'll, hey, but I'm going to go ahead and boot him out here. Hey, that's okay. But well, you, you talked about. I mean, we've been spoiled. Bandy fans have been spoiled with what Tim Corbin has been able to do. I mean, it feels like every single season for the past five, six, seven years. They've been there in the postseason, and they've been a, a you know a threat to be reckoned with. I mean, forced to be reckoned with. I mean that that's what that's what it's been. And this year, I, I, that right now, I, I think they are a team. You know, a lot can happen. I think they're a team that caps out at a super. Now, that's I'm not saying that that's where they're at. They're going to be at the end, but that that's kind of what it's looking like right now. But there's still a lot to happen. Will we're going to get to a little update here on Nick Maldonado. Uh, kind of a status update on Mr. I like that graphic, Billy. That was well. You like that? You like that, that transition nice. there? Yeah, that was uh, really well, nice. Well, Maldonado is slowly progressing. He had limited work versus Kentucky. Uh, he will be needed this weekend against AM. He had Corbin had a quote tonight. Uh, they they wanted to get him into the 30s, his pitch count into the 30s. I think he pitched uh, somewhere under 20 pitches his last appearance a couple weekends ago. He had, he was at the 30 uh, pitch mark. But well, he's a preseason All American. Yeah, I mean this this is a guy that. That coming into this season, you know, we didn't know if he was going to start. We didn't know if he was going to come out of the pen. But we saw initially with the first rotation, Maldonado starting uh, on game two, the Saturday starter. Um, and, and, you know, you saw Holton on Sunday, but we've seen a lot of, of fluctuation there. So just wanted to throw that out there. He's slowly progressing, Will. And Nick Maldonado is a guy that they're going to need this weekend. I mean, he, they are going going to need him. So that's just a quick little update on Maldonado. Well, before we get to football, I do want to touch a little bit on Texas A&M this weekend. It is throwback weekend at the Hawk and uh, Thursday night. It starts on a Thursday night. Uh, That one's going to be a 7 o'clock first pitch on ESPNU. It is dollar dog night at Hawkins Field. Um, And, and, Will, A&M is coming off a huge series win over Arkansas. They took two two out of three from Arkansas last weekend. A&M is is ranked number 21 in the country right now. Uh, They're 10-8 in the SEC, fourth place right now in the SEC West for Vanderbilt. You talked about, you, you touched on it. Will. I think if Vanderbilt wants to host a regional, this is a series they have to win because if you don't win this one, then you're starting to go into the rabbit hole of at Georgia at Arkansas and then LSU at home. So this one, this is, this is a game they need to have. Will, and it feels like this team plays better at the Hawk. It, it just does. They, they, they took two out of three from Florida. They got swept versus Tennessee, but you know, they didn't, I, they didn't play awful. I mean, yes, Tennessee swept them, but I, I, that's that's one of the games and series I think Tennessee looks back at and says, "Hey, that that was that was a tough you know series to win, a tough place to win." So A and M's coming in here, will this weekend. We're not going to do predictions. I think we will have one more later this week for predictions. Uh, but before we get to football, will real quick here, A and M. This is one they need to have. That's uh, just kind of the feeling. If you don't, then you got to try to steal one against Arkansas or LSU or Georgia, and all three of those teams I think are better than A&M. So they need this one, Will. They, they, they really do. I mean, it's pretty crazy when you look at the SEC and the standings and and watch the teams, how sandwiched you have about seven teams in there. You have, you have Arkansas, who's kind of in Tier 2, and then Tennessee, who it pains me to say it, but is in a tier of their own right now at 17-1. and one. So they just are. And yeah. so you have tier one is one team, tier two is one team, and then tier three is seven teams, and then tier mm-hmm. four is the remainder of the conference. So this is against one of those teams that are all sandwiched in there. I'm putting Mississippi State in there, even though I think they're eight and ten. I don't have the standings pulled up in front of me. They are they are ten and eight. Ten and eight, yeah. Ten and eight. Okay. Yeah. Well, Go not AM. Up. I meant um, Mississippi State. I'm Mississippi including State. The seven yeah. teams. They're yeah. eight and ten. Sorry. The the maroon. There's too many maroon mm-hmm. teams. Okay, that's just my opinion. <laughs> but um, you've got a game against one of those teams you're sandwiched in the middle of, and you have an opportunity, which is to move up in those rankings and separate yourself out. If you don't pick up the series this weekend, you're probably not going to be sitting in a spot better than probably fifth place in the conference, mm-hmm. just looking at the schedule ahead, setting realistic expectations. So this is about as big of a series as was last weekend. And the weekend before, Vanderbilt has not set themselves up in a spot like they normally have where they have a lot of margin for error. And that's a, a just a it, – it's an it's issue to do with youth. Yeah. And no – well, it, yeah, a fact of the matter, Billy. I stumbled over my words, but you didn't have to jump in. I, I, uh, you yeah. saw the brain churning after dark. It's been a long day. <laughs> but uh, 
they they have some youth, and that is why they are struggling right now. You saw you're trying to replace two superstars, and you just don't replace two superstars effortlessly. And that's more than just the arms and the pitching. That was the focus. That was the storyline week in, week out, was how did Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker perform if Carter Young's struggling to hit the ball or, or Javier Vaz is on a cold streak or if Spencer Jones goes on a four- or five-game cold streak. That's not what is being written about and talked about as to what is going on with this team. All of the focus is on those guys. So it takes a lot of pressure off the rest of the team. So even though I think it was a couple episodes ago you said something about this team, uh, having a lot of guys that have experience and a lot of these guys are coming back and do have experience mm-hmm. in big time games and big time moments and playing on winning teams. But these guys don't have experience being the guy on those winning teams. And I think Enrique Bradfield does. And so I think mm-hmm. this is just him stepping back into that role. And you've seen some guys step up, take Colwick early, dominate Keegan, Jack Boulder seems to be moving in that direction a little bit, but you haven't seen enough guys to step in and fill the role of this mammoth cavity that was left, honestly, by Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. It's really about as big as what was left after the class with Dansby Swanson and all of them yeah. graduated. Yeah. I mean, you're having to replace the entire face of your program once again. Enrique Bradfield can't do it alone. Yeah. So that that's where this team sits. They're just waiting on guys to emerge. Spencer Jones looks like he's stepping in there. McIlvain looks like he's kind of moving in there. But you need one or two more guys, and that's going to be the difference in this yeah. team like capping at the super regionals or being able to move a little bit further or, and we say capping at super regionals, like that's a given. That's certainly not a given for this team to make it there, but hopefully this team and these guys can grow into these roles. They seem to be settling some somewhat into the roles, but uh, it'll be interesting to move forward. And Texas A&M is going to be a hell of a hell of a way to start and see. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. And will right now, this team is going to be on the road in a regional like that. That's where they're at right now. Now, if they beat A&M, I think if they go two and two, then these next four, it depends on if they sweep. I think there's a lot that can still happen, especially in Hoover. But if they go two and two this next stretch, I think you can be pretty confident. Depends on who they beat. But no matter what, I mean, all four of these next teams will likely host other than maybe A&M. So, I mean, there's still a ton that can happen in in this baseball season. That's how long it is. And real quick here, Will, we forgot to mention the combined no-hitter uh, from Chris McIlvain, uh, I know. I, I can't that was like the it, only but... thing I wrote down on our <laughs> on, on our Google Doc here beforehand. That was, I think, the only thing that I typed in was to make sure to touch on that, and then we yeah. somehow skipped over it. I can't believe it, but Chris McIlvain and Christian Little combined for a no-hitter in probably the most boring way possible in probably a crowd of like 150 people that were still there in Lexington. Uh, so it wasn't the most electric. The, the video was kind of funny. You couldn't really hear anything. You could hear a few of the Vandy fans clap after it but i thought it was kind of funny watching that uh but because of the performance McIlvain won sec pitcher of the week uh seven shutout innings from him will picked up his fifth win of the year nine strikeouts that's the highest for him in an sec game and will interesting stat here this is the first combined no hitter for vanderbilt since four pitchers combined to do it since in 2003 that was jensen lewis nick pilkington john scott and matt bushman uh, that was back in 2003 on the road at Western Kentucky. So, uh, Vandy, they're making history, but it felt like that was – I was hoping you would ask kinda... me that. I was hoping you would ask me that as a trivia When was the last Damn time? It, Billy. Yeah, I was like, I've got him. I've got it. He's going to ask me, when do you think that was? And I'm going to actually know the answer, but unfortunately, you went ahead and read it off. So. I think that was – that might have been Corbin's first year – uh, I, I, it, it was either his first or second year, so really, really early. Do a little research there. It was 2003 Tim Corbin's first season at Vanderbilt? We've got our first uh, research. 2000, 2003 was his okay, first so, season. Yeah, that was his first season, and that's uh, the first time any Vanderbilt pitchers have combined for a no-hitter. So all the way back in 2003, you got to go back there. Uh, so, yeah, that that uh, that happened Friday night. They were not able to win Saturday. They lost 3-2, but they ended up uh, winning the series 5-3. Uh, that was their first rubber match victory of the all season. So uh, Vanderbilt's kind of start, like you said, Willa. I like what you said about it feels like they're starting to find a rhythm, round into form with a lot of these younger guys taking over leadership positions. Like, that's that's not easy in any sport. I mean, I think we saw it this past season with basketball. 
We're still maybe starting to see it with football, but I don't think we're close there. And then, I mean, you look at you look at baseball, that's where they're at right now. So I think we're kind of starting to see it. Uh, well, I know we said we would talk about football. I'm not sure if you actually have anything on football. Uh, I know Gabe Dorsey entered the transfer portal, so uh, that's some news on the basketball front. Uh, all I had for the titles here was baseball. But, uh, Will, let's get to football first. Let's get to Will's football uh, kind of spring status report. Uh, here, here we go. What's what's the latest, Will? I mean, pretty much there's no latest. I mean, yeah. I was just going to bring up some questions for you now that we've had a chance to kind of sit back and see some quotes and, and get the we, feel we of everything and the feel of Twitter. And since there was really not a ton outside of baseball, we've we've beat beaten that dry, we've, run that completely yeah. dry, every, every ounce of it. So to football, how much of a QB battle do you think there really is? Because Clark Lee, of course, is playing it up with some quotes here uh, that I'm reading, going to quote from an article from Robbie Weinstein, if he is out Thanks, there. Robbie. Thank you, Robbie. We always say it. Thank you, Robbie. Yep. Check him out on 247sports.com and go and subscribe as well. Uh, but going into the quotes, I really didn't think that he would give quotes in this way, showing that there was a quarterback battle. I thought he wouldn't say that Mike Wright was going to be the starter week one because what tactical advantage is it to come out and say that you have a running quarterback as your starting quarterback? You might as well say that we're really looking into every option, especially since all three guys really do have a slightly mm -hmm. different style. But some of the quotes were a little bit interesting. He said he, he was pleased with all three today. And I'm not going to go through and read the entirety of all of these quotes, but there's one in particular about A.J. Swan that kind of caught my eye because specifically I know that when we did uh, the recap of the spring game last episode with uh, where we ran through the notes from the mm -hmm. spring game that had just happened, we, we talked about the interception that AJ Swan threw. And we talked about that. That was just a play that was a freshman play. That was a guy that was playing high school football last year. He just completely got fooled by the mm -hmm. coverage that wasn't even really disguised that heavily. But he said, and let me find it here because my laptop screen is moving back and forth. Uh, he said, in quote, then I thought, and this is Coach Clark Lee, uh, then I thought AJ, honestly, he had the interception early, but I like that. Let's take risks. Let's bet on ourselves and take shots and learn from that. I thought he showed some athleticism in the back half of the scrimmage, evading the rush and stepping up in the pocket. He's able to find receivers down the field as a result. That's always a good thing. So that was the interesting part of the quote was the, the the first part there talking about the interception, because I am curious how much of that is Clark Lee not wanting to kill the confidence of AJ Swan publicly by saying you just can't make that throw. And mm -hmm. how much of that is really him looking at what AJ Swan did and saying, is that risk worth the reward of saying that there were some plays that AJ Swan made in that spring game that were throws that simply no one else on that team would have or could have made. The deep now, ball. All, yeah, there were there it, it was that it was just his quick release and his timing. His release is just quicker than everyone. So that ball gets out there just a little bit quicker on those screens, on those bubble screens, getting the ball out to McGowan, getting the ball out to Will Shepard. It just comes out at a half second quicker and the timing just works better. So but you're you've got to take the good with the bad. With the gunslinger mm -hmm. is going to come interceptions like that. And I don't think I think he can reduce those. But watching, I, we watched a lot of AJ, excuse me, AJ Swan film and a lot of his highlights from high school, and that's just part of his game. So it's going to improve, and he's going to throw a lot of interceptions, especially early in his career before he's had a chance to get a lot of experience. But that's just going to be part of it because if people remember, Jay Cutler threw a hell of a lot of interceptions. Yeah. When he was at Vanderbilt, he definitely fit a lot of balls into spots that including that legendary slant pass to Ooh. Earl Bennett that he caught in Neyland Stadium in 2005. But remember that that ball probably shouldn't have ever been thrown. Every single coach and how he threw it in the history of quarterback coaching would have said, no way in hell should you have thrown that football. Mm -hmm. And he made throws that at times at Vanderbilt, you said, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why would you ever think to make that throw? So can Clark Lee, and he's a defensive coach, live with the fact that that's going to happen if you play a freshman quarterback? So that quote is what stuck out because he also had a quote talking about Mike Wright. We know what Mike Wright can do. 
-hmm. And he said that on that first drive, you saw exactly what Mike Wright brings to the table that nobody else brings to the table. I said at the beginning that AJ Swan is the guy that makes throws that no one else can make. Well, Mike Wright makes plays that nobody else can make. He gets away from pressure and provides an elusiveness that allows the offensive line to make those mistakes. And it's not completely detrimental to every single drive, every single time that they allow an edge rusher to get through. It's not just crumpling to the ground because this offensive line may struggle to protect the quarterback, especially in SEC play, just like every year. But this year in particular, it may be a struggle for them. They're young. They're running a new offense. They're going to try to negate that by hitting some quick patterns a little bit more than they did last year. I think they learned from their mistakes of trying to have plays that develop too long down the field. But we'll see. There's a lot of time. There's a lot, a lot of time. A lot of time. A lot of practice, a lot of things to happen, a lot of growing up to do for A.J. Swan and really both these guys because this is the first year that I think Mike Wright's going into – a quarterback battle as the lead horse, as the guy that if you had to put your money down on who you thought was going to be the starting quarterback, I think a majority of Vanderbilt fans would say Mike Wright. And that wasn't the case last year. It was the complete flip side. I think that we both said that Ken Seals was likely going to be the guy. So how is Mike Wright going to progress with that? He has a lot of growing up to do. And then A.J. Swan, of course, he's supposed to be going to prom right now, and he's competing <laughs> uh, for not just the backup job, but according to these quotes, the which how much can you take? The, the starting quarterback job. So A.J. Swan, he can look like a completely different guy, or he can take the take the route of Alan Walters and, and fade away into oblivion. Um, that's that's a little <laughs> bit of a, a story there. But, yeah, the, the, I mean, there's a ton of other examples of guys that have come yeah. in with a lot of excitement. Yeah. And, and it just didn't work out for whatever reason that was. But I don't think AJ Swan's going to be a guy like that. Just from just from what I saw on Saturday, and from I know the you, tape, yeah, yeah, you probably from the tape, from yeah. watching it, uh, the highlights of that spring game. The tape says otherwise. Like this, this guy. I mean, you know, we talked about Alan Walters coming in. I think we talked about Ken Seals coming in. It's like, whoa, these guys jump off the page. You know, I like that arm. I like that deep ball. But AJ Swan, you saw some different types of things. You saw the flick of the of the wrist. You saw the ball, how quick it got out of his arm. You saw him rolling right or rolling left. And these are huddle highlights. Like these are not the best quality. You could still tell about everything, all the movements, you know, with the arm and the legs. I mean, it just felt like it was all there. Now, mentally, is is it all there yet? Obviously not. He's a freshman. He's going to make freshman mistakes. And I'm not saying he's going to play uh, this year, Will, but I- I'm going to mark it down. You will see A.J. Swan in game action this season. I don't think – now, as much as Vanderbilt fans kind of – I think there are fans out there that would uh, would like to see him, you know, maybe start right away, like the Shermer thing. You know, we've talked about that. Uh, but I, Kyle Shermer, who was in front of Kyle Shermer? Well, like who was was you had like Steven, when Sherm- you had a you had a plethora of quarterbacks that played over Kyle Shermer. You had uh, Steve that Steven was Rivers, Steven Rivers. You had Patton Robinette was the initial and starter yeah. uh, and got injured. You had, I believe, that oh what was Wade Freebeck Freebeck that was his name. Yep, I think McCrary was still in the roster as well hmm. those years. So yeah, you had a lot of guys that were tested out before Derek Mason decided yeah. to settle and- on Shermer. But credit to Derek Mason on keeping because going into I think it was even his junior season Kyle Shermer was not this universally he had the starting job going he, he wasn't a universally like this is the guy that's going to start until he graduates that wasn't the case so uh, we we've been pretty harsh on this podcast before he was let go and about how Derek Mason left the state of the program but I wanted to get, I, I, I like to give credit when there is credit to give because there are places that Derek Mason did good things. And one of those was sticking with a starting quarterback because I think a lot of times coaches get trigger happy on pulling guys. And this isn't just because. And they we've seen it at Vandy a lot. And it, and it isn't just that they made the right or the wrong decision. It, you, it's that once you pull a guy one time, He's done. Like that, there are very few guys that can go out and play that position of quarterback, knowing that one mistake is going to send them to the bench and send another guy out there. It's why I hate the two quarterback rotation thing because it doesn't allow guys to get into rhythm. It's like it's like if you had a shooter in basketball, and you and you were like go in, but if you miss a shot, you're coming right back out. 
that is not a way to see the best. And once you do it one time, it's over. Then there's no instilling that and getting that out of the back of the player's mind. So that is what I don't want Clark Lee to do. That is what I, if he goes with AJ Swan, he has to go with AJ Swan. And that's the problem is if he goes and makes that decision, I think with Mike Wright, you could almost say, hey, we're going to shift the role to where A.J. Swan is going to be more involved and you're going to run packages. I don't think you can do it the other way. I think if you go out with Swan, that that role can only increase for him at, over Mike, right? It can't then say you were running 60% of possessions or 70. Now we're going to take you back to 40. You can't do that. So it's a bigger risk to go with Swan. It's a higher reward because you saw what allowing the development of a young quarterback at Vanderbilt can do and what Kyle Shermer was able to do in his junior and senior seasons and, and the, the talent that was around him and the chemistry that was built. That's really, especially early before this, before these classes can really get rolling when you're a team like Vanderbilt in the sec and, and Derek Mason got blasted for what he said and you can't say it. And that's the problem, but he said it, it was, what did he say? It was in waves or yeah, whatever it, it was in cycles about, it goes in cycles and what he said isn't wrong he just was awful at saying it is he was saying well that you, you can't say it in general i mean it's everyone knows it's true but as a, as a coach at vanderbilt you just can't say it like you just he could have even said it with with in, in a, a different way, way. Of being, yeah. in a way of saying like in the same way that a tornado is built with the first gust is you go in a cycle but then your cycle gets higher as everything goes in cycles is Georgia goes in cycles. Georgia just had probably the greatest defense in the history of college football, especially statistically. But they're going to be a little bit down next year. It's just their bottom of the cycle is like a little a, bit different. Like 10 and 2, 9 and 3 is their bottom of the barrel versus Vanderbilt bottoming out is going 2 and 10 and losing to FCS, ETSU and 0 and 9 in the prior season where it was only SEC play. So there, there's just different ways, but right now Clark Lee seems to be on the uptick side. I don't think this year is going to be the high point of a cycle, obviously, but you feel like you're building the momentum to maybe in year, I guess it would be team two, I guess we could say it because that was team zero, but team two, year three, uh, that that was going, is we've been calling it team zero there at the beginning, but team two in year three, that's when you can see the real uptick and maybe a win total because mm -hmm. this year, Billy, I mean, you look at the SEC schedule, it's pretty brutal. And it, that's yeah. why I we keep hitting on it. We're going to keep hitting on it. But the win total at best may increase by one game. And that would be like a not just a step. That would be a leap forward if this team if this team was able to win three games. That would be a lot more than just winning one more game. That would really be a huge step forward. Yeah, I, I think this season will. We, we talked about last season, you know, not judging wins and losses. I think the bar shifts to, yes, we're going to be judging wins and losses, but not to the degree of we would be doing in year three or four for Clark Lee. Like, I think it's we competitiveness get, we get, this year. Is, yeah, like is we even more so than last year's. They should yeah. be getting blown out in these games. Right. Yeah, we get to year three, year four, then it's like, okay, maybe four or five wins, six wins. Like we're going to legitimately putting out a number. I'm not saying we can't put out a number this year, but, you know, say they go two and 10 again. I don't know if that's, you know, is that a step back? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it it's going to depend be. on what like, kind of two and 10 it is. Is yeah. it a two and 10 that, that you saw last season where you felt, where you felt like the team improved, but just at a better, uh, a higher level that they didn't start out from the basement like they did last year that you felt like they were on an upward trajectory but if you can start from that same trajectory and come out and win a game against Hawaii and God forbid beat your FCS opponent and start out the year two and zero, even if you did rattle off 10 losses, which would be very, very, very unfortunate. Even if you're able to be just in every game, except maybe against Georgia that you can just be competitive. I know that that is such a low bar and I hate that the words are coming out of my mouth because I hate moral victories. I hate everything about it. And I'm talking about it right now, but <laughs> you, I can't, and I say it over and over. There is no lower place than this team was in 2020 in the COVID year when they went 0 and 9 and literally didn't finish the season. They had to forfeit. They, they forfeited the season and they had a female kicker and they forfeited the season. Like that is bottom of the barrel as low as it gets and then you lose to your fcs opponent and that it was like a new depth of hell that i didn't even know was possible <laughs> 
to reach as a Vanderbilt point. It's like every time you reach the basement floor, it's like it just keeps getting lower. It's like it just builds <laughs> you up with a little bit and it's there like is another level smacks you in the face. So that is that's where we're coming from. And that's why I don't even I hate moral victories. It's all you have. You're not going to jump from where they were being historically at as low a point as Vanderbilt football has ever been, which is a tough statement to make. But it's true. You don't go from that to immediately saying my goals are wins. Your goals are to have little moral victories. And then hopefully those can translate in year three, year four, year five into actual victories and actual wins. Because in football, it just isn't going to be like basketball. It just isn't going to be one class. It isn't going to be two classes. It really isn't even going to be three classes. It's going to be a long cycle because Derek Mason was right on that quote, even though he got blasted and it was a terrible quote. Cycles, he, cycle, Derek, cycle, Derek cycles. Mason In that right. first cycle, it's going to take three, four, five years. He was wrong on a lot of stuff. He was right on that one. So I'll give him credit on credit on that. And for some reason, Derek Mason's coming up a lot. In our first live stream episode, I don't think we've talked about we've, him. We've we've mentioned a lot Derek of Mason more than is. we have yeah. Clark Lee. It's a, <laughs> that's a, that maybe not great news, but that's where we're at right now with the door report. But Will, you you mentioned basketball that transitions us perfectly. We're going to talk a lot more about football, but that transitions us perfectly to our last topic. Gabe Dorsey enters the transfer portal, uh, and, and Will is kind of interesting looking at uh, Jerry Stackhouse's. Uh, recruiting class now, his first signing class, they're all gone. Peyton Daniels, gone. Shane Dizoni, gone. And now you've got Gabe Dorsey, gone. So, well, this is not some sort of heat wave uh, of a transfer. Like, like this is not this is not shaking the Vanderbilt basketball program. But what it does is it opens up a spot. Uh, uh, one more spot has been opened, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be awfully wrong about that, but yes, there there is another spot open. You're right, and and so, Will, what does that do now? I mean, I I hate that we're talking about Gabe Dorsey, and now all, we just go all of a sudden to the new spot that's open. But that's where we're at. I mean, Gabe Dorsey coming into Vanderbilt, we thought I don't know how much you know. I th- I think both of us were kind of uh, undecided on how much he might play, but he was a talented kid coming out of high school. I mean, Stackhouse's class, Will, we forget about it. Peyton Daniels, Dizoni, and Dorsey, those weren't your run-of-the-mill, you know, three stars. I mean, you know, they were talented kids. I mean, you know, we forget about that. Yes, they're, they, they, you could say they were your run-of-the-mill three stars, but at Vanderbilt, they, they the just – They were the definition of your run-of-the-mill three-star class. I mean – I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's you very... look at. But you look at you look at the schools. You look at their ratings. You know, but there's I, a reason. I, I think, there's a reason we're excited about this class coming up, and we yeah, weren't excited and, and because no one that, was excited about that. I, this is like I want to be kind, but there's a reason they're transferring out, and there's a reason yeah. that Dizoni landed at St. Joseph's and didn't go to Kentucky. Like there, yeah. that, that's and what I'm Peyton saying. Daniels, is Peyton Daniels. The same thing with football is you know that a guy is probably leaving the program and your program is losing a, a piece that it should not have lost when they transfer up. And that's across all levels. That's from yeah. Belmont to wherever they go to Vanderbilt. And that's why I'm not concerned with the guys transferring out in basketball. I'm not, I'm not waving a panic flag and I'm not concerned at any of the transfers really outside of maybe a couple from the football program, because they're getting, we, we complain and fans complain all the time about, SEC talent and getting SEC talent in. Well, if you're saying you need SEC talent in, then somebody's got to go. Right. And for the most part, I think that Stack has done a pretty good job, especially with how much was up in the air with Scottie Pippen Jr. and how much you could really do of trimming off the fat and bringing back what you could and then setting up complementary pieces. Now, what is he going to do about shooters and the two guard and especially shooters now? that Gabe Dorsey is gone because that was a guy I think both me and you thought could come in and provide maybe a little bit of depth just in case guys got in foul trouble because he did have some good height. He showed flashes of being a good shooter last year. He didn't shoot a good percentage, but his shot looked good out of his hand. So they've got to pick up something because right now there's just not enough guard depth on this team to be successful because you're losing your two best guards from a team that already 
was short on guard depth. So there's a lot for Stackhouse to address. And I don't, and I think you're a little too late to really address it here. No, I, I, what I was pointing to is kind of the difference in recruiting with Stackhouse. Like your first class, all of them are gone. And now, you know, Stackhouse, I think that that's kind of a, a credit to stack in a weird way. You know, all three of your guys are gone, but now you're putting more focus on the next recruiting class and and other transfers. So, Will, we'll we'll continue to monitor it, but uh, that's the next question here. I mean, who does Stackhouse replace Gabe Dorsey with? So maybe it's a post player. They've got seven guards and seven forwards right now. So where does he go? Uh, wh- where does late. he go? <laughs> you're pretty little, late in this little cycle. late. So it might I mean, have to be a walk on potentially. That might be where he goes. Uh, well, you wouldn't I think give it's a scholarly, a little, I don't think. Uh, you probably wouldn't. So who knows? Maybe I, who knows what I haven't what's seen that? anything. If anybody's got anything out there, send it over our way because this is like the least rumors that I've ever heard surrounding what we both think is an open scholarship now. I right. would assume so is an open scholarship with him transferring out. I don't know any names whatsoever. I've been looking around and I haven't really seen anything. So you're yeah. super late in the cycle here. I guess with maybe recruiting. Just, a lot of the a lot of these guys are already committed. Yeah, maybe they maybe they just leave it open. I mean, do teams do that? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe for Robbie Weinstein, if you're watching, uh, hit us <laughs> up with your latest hit us up with your latest scoop here uh, here for Gabe Dorsey. But uh, well, that does it for for the first uh, restream edition here of uh, the the Doorport episode 160 coming up. Stay tuned on Twitter and YouTube if you've been watching. Rhett Wiseman is coming up and. Uh, uh, Will, I, I, it's 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 going to be Rhett and I, but uh, shoot me your questions. Uh, and and again, I think Vandy fans will like this because it's baseball talk. Uh, you know, they like the football talk and basketball talk. I'm sure, but we got we got Rhett Wiseman coming up here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Welcome back into the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and I'm happy now to be joined by Mr. Rhett Wiseman, a uh, recurring guest here at the Door Report. He is able to hop right back on the 2014 national champion at Vanderbilt. He played for the Commodores from 2013 to 2015. The Mansfield, Massachusetts native. I, I, I forgot to get that in last time, Rhett, but wanted to throw that in there. Of course, Corbin's got many guys up there from the Northeast. But, uh, Rhett, thanks for checking in again. How you doing? Oh, great to be here, Billy. Thanks for having me. Rhett, let, let's start with this season as a whole. Kind of, you know, we'll talk about Kentucky. We'll talk about some other things, but I want to get I want to get your take on where this team stands right now. They've got a great overall record, uh, but right now in the SEC, I think a little bit of it is catching up to a lot of these younger guys, especially bottom of the lineup. So, just overall, Rhett. What what has been your take on on ha- where this team stands at nine and nine five hundred right now in the SEC? Yeah, I mean you know Billy, it's a tough conference. It's it's the best com- conference college conference in the world, um, and it's tough. I think that you know year after year at Vandy, they've been able to have older teams, um, and I think the fan base doesn't really understand uh, what an older team is until it's gone. You know, um, and and I think that's what we we saw. Right. Because people are are all, you know, mad and this and that when the team's not winning every single series and winning every game like everybody's used to. Um, But the reality is when you have a younger team, you don't have experience, you know, and and uh, I'm so glad that the fan base stuck around and hung by. Right. Because eventually guys learn. They understand what level they have to play at. Right. It doesn't matter when you look at how many guys they have on this roster and in this lineup that have experience. It's not many. Um, And you have to take that into account when you're playing against these teams every single week that have fifth year seniors. They have transfers that play for four, three years at other schools. You know, Vandy doesn't have any of that. and when you when you add those two things up, when you add you know half of the SEC teams that have unbelievable transfer portal players who played for three year starters and captains on other teams, now they exploit this new transfer rule, which is ridiculous. They come to these schools, right? They're older guys. Now they're competing against Vanderbilt, who has all these young players who have never, some of them never played SEC games before, and you put them up side by side. Of course, there's going to be a learning curve for the Vandy guys, but. Who cares about the beginning of the season? It doesn't matter, Billy. Recall <laughs> 2014, we were the most underachieving team in Vanderbilt baseball history, and we go to win a national championship. It's not about how you do in the regular season. It doesn't mean anything. It's about getting hot at the right time, 
the way I see it, Vandy has won their past two series. That's all I care about. They're playing great baseball, and that's what they got to continue to do. Right, you're a guy from Massachusetts. Vanderbilt, of course, has always had a lot of the guys, a lot of guys from that northeast region of the United States, and they come down south playing the SEC. A lot of the, you know, there's so much talent across the country, but I'm sure you realized it, Rhett, pretty quickly. It's a little bit different in the in the southeast region of the United States. It's just a little bit different with the talent pool. And this year's team, you talked about it, one of the youngest teams in the SEC. A lot of these guys, like you said, are still adjusting to SEC baseball. But I want to ask you, Rhett, from your experience, your experience, of course, 2014, 2013, in adjusting to SEC baseball, how would you describe that? Like, like for, for a fan who, who may not know what that's like for, for the players, I know they may, may think they do, but for the fans that, that, that are trying to understand that, what, what's that like, especially because you live through it? Right. I mean, they're, they're not professional athletes. You know, you're talking about 17, 18, 19-year-old kids that, you know, were superstars where they're from. And all of a sudden, they're coming down to the best conference in the country, bar none, for every sport. And they have to compete against the big dogs. And not only that, now the SEC is in a situation where the best players in other conferences are now coming to the SEC as mature players, which never could happen when I was there. But you look at the team when I was there. I mean, we had Connor Harrell, Andrew Harris, Jack Lupo, DJ Luna, Mike Yastrzemski. We had this huge group of older players who had been around for years and years and years, right? Um, and those guys have so much experience. I remember coming in here. I think I hit like 065 in the, in the fall. <laughs> and I was a superstar out of Massachusetts, right, out of the Northeast. I went down to Nashville and, and got the bat, you know, where, where the sun don't Taking shine, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's a huge adjustment. It's a miserably uh, humbling experience. It's You get a nice big slice of humble pie. And for a lot of these players, you know, when you're, you're, you're thrown into this thing, you think about some of these guys. In 2020, some of those guys that were freshmen, they played, what, 13 games? They don't even know what it's like to play in an SEC environment. They don't know what it's like to go on the road and play at Mississippi State, to go play at South Carolina. They don't even know what that's like. The heat of SEC when winning matters and they have no experience. That's nobody's fault. It's just experience. Now, what you're seeing, Billy, is okay, they're starting to get a hang of it. You're starting to see some guys in the lineup starting to learn how to play the game. You're starting to see guys do more stuff. You're starting to see guys put balls in play more with two strikes. You're starting to see guys slow their heart rates down, understand the pace that they have to play, understand the temperature that you have to play at in some of these uh, arenas. Um, and they're starting to win games. They're starting to compete. They're starting to win games. And that's what I care about. No, Listen, however far this team goes, nobody's going to care about the beginning of the, of, of the series. You you couldn't tell me you know how many series we lost in 2014 because nobody cares, <laughs> right? They care about the big ring at the end. And that's all that matters. You're focused on just the next day. You're moving on. You're not living in the past get better, get a little bit better today than they were yesterday. Rhett, Vanderbilt has a guy in the midweek right now by the name of Devin Futrell. He is a perfect 8-0 in his midweek starts. And we've seen Corbin turn young midweek pitchers into postseason stars. I mean, we, we saw it with Walker Bueller in 2014. We saw it with Mason Hickman in, uh, in 2018 with that young team that lost to Mississippi State in the Supers. So that those are perfect examples of that happening. How much of an impact do you think a guy like Futrell, you know, he's young, he's a lefty, he's been compared to Clayton Kershaw by a couple of guys. Now he's got a little bit more work to do in that regard, but how much of an impact do you think a guy like him could play in the postseason? Well, huge, Billy. I mean, he's playing, a, he's playing an incredibly huge role right now. It's just not realized. So midweek games are maybe one of the most important aspects of the season because what a lot of people don't understand is your RPI or strength of schedule is hugely dependent on your success in the midweek. So winning midweek games changes seasons. It's the difference between making the tournament and not making the tournament. It's it's the difference between being a one seed, a two seed, or a three seed in the region. Having a guy, and that's why Vandy's keeping him there. For those people at home that are wondering, why isn't he not on the weekend? Why, you know, do we have a different Sunday starter every Sunday? Why don't we just put him? He's 8-0 on Sunday. You need him to continue to win games on, on the weekday. Absolutely, it's 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 of the utmost importance. And that's why you see him still there. Because they understand that if they win the midweek 
and they win one game on the weekend and they lose the rest, they split the week. They're 500 on the week, right? It's not ideal, but it's going to get them to the tournament. And it's about winning games. So if you put the best player in that position, who is Futrell on, on a Tuesday game, and he gets you a W, which he has, he's 8-0, it's incredibly, incredibly important. Yes. Is he going to be an eventual Friday night starter? Of course. Does he have phenomenal stuff? Absolutely. And he dominates good teams. But you need him there right now. And then when there's no more midweek games, you bet your bottom dollar he's going to be right in that rotation. He's going to be a difference maker in the postseason. Red offensively, this team, of course, pitching and defense has been consistent. You know, you've had McIlvain, you've had Holton, you've had Cunningham coming on of late in the past couple Sunday starts. Uh, but what do you attribute? I know you talked about how this team is young, uh, but several guys, excuse me, several guys you've seen uh, step up last season. <coughs> you saw them step up against Mississippi State. So, really, what do you attribute the offense's struggles at the bottom of the lineup? Yeah, again, it's just it's it's all about experience. It's one of those things where when you have this kind of lineup, you have to make sure that guys are getting at bats. And one of the things also that that I've really liked about this season, Billy, is that you have a lot of different pieces. So you're seeing a lot of different players in there and, and they need to do that. One of the most important aspects of developing a young team is getting different bits and pieces in there. So, you know, having different guys in the lineup every day, that's a really, really important part to success, not only for this year, but for next year, because one of the worst things you can do is play the same nine guys <clears throat> over and over and over again, because what ends up happening is next year, the guys that leave, you have to plug guys in that, that have never played before. If you look back at, at, at the 2014 team, right? Go look back at 2013, and you'll see freshmen that got considerable playing time. You'll see sophomores that got considerable playing time, even though the core of the team was so old. Corbin found ways to get guys into the lineup because he understood the value of getting those guys experience so over the next coming years the team could be successful. That's exactly what he's doing now. Rhett, with um, – <clears throat> sorry as I catch my voice back, but – uh, it seems like Coach Corbin's guys are really able to flip a switch when it comes postseason time. No matter what they've done in the regular season, you talked about it. Why? Why is that? I mean, what? What? What is it about Coach Corbin and his staff that he, he's he's able to do that so well? Well, Bill, you know it's a championship culture, and you can't win a championship on the on the twentieth game of the season or the sixth game of the season, right? There's no championship to win. So one of the big things is, is we always do talk about there as the weather gets warmer, it means one thing it's championship time, right? It's that championship season. You start playing in February, it's freezing cold. And then as it gets warmer, you're getting closer and closer to that big dance. Um, and it's a championship culture. I mean, you're reminded of it in everything you do, whether it's the Omaha challenge that you do in November or whether it's every time you step into the gym and you see us lit, hoisting the trophy or in your locker room every day, you're constantly reminded of, of what it's like to win a national championship. Um, and you understand that that is the main goal. So seeing that every single day and when it starts to get closer and closer and closer, and then you realize, okay, you know, there's no school left. People have to understand, you know, you're watching these games. You forget these guys are in a top 10 institution in the world and they're not handed anything. These guys are expected to go to class every single day, 8 a.m. after it doesn't matter what time the game ends, right? Adrenaline pumping doesn't matter on a Sunday, whatever it is, Thursday game, you get class Friday, you get class Monday. You better clean it up, pull it together, get your butt to class. And you're expected to be there and you're expected to get good grades, right? So as soon as all that ends, and now all of a sudden, your only focus is on winning baseball games, it's phenomenal, it's phenomenal. Because it's giving people the opportunity, it's giving guys the opportunity for the first time in the year to focus solely on baseball. So. A lot of those responsibilities with school are over. You can focus on baseball. You're at the park all day long. You're loving it. It's warm. It's fun. You win championships. Makes it a little bit better in that uh, playing in that Nashville heat as, as opposed to up in January, February, where you got snow coming down. But, uh, Rhett, in terms of hitting slumps, every baseball player has experienced a hitting slump. Uh, you have, Dansby has, everybody has. Um, a few Vandy boys are experiencing that right now, especially at the bottom of the lineup. 
every everybody everybody goes through these. But from your experience, I got to imagine sometimes all it takes is is one good swing, one good at bat, you know, one one good play, uh, you know, offensively. So, would you agree with that? Like, like what what does it take sometimes to to get out of a slump like that? Yeah, you know, for me, I I would try and save at bats. You know, like when you're going bad, you're going bad. So for me, I try to get bunts down. I would try to get bunts for hits. And at the same time, if it's not a good hit, I get to move a runner over. You know what I mean? I get to help my team. If I'm not feeling good with the bat swinging, I have to find other ways. I have to get deep in counts and maybe work a walk. I'm going to get really on the plate and try to wear a fastball. Um, You know, you have to try and find ways to get on base. And, you know, it's really busting your butt every single day in the cages before afterwards trying to find something to make you feel comfortable um the the difference between pro baseball and college baseball is you know you're playing 65 games in 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 maybe not even 56 games in college baseball there's not a lot of time to get into a slump and you know recover from a slump so guys put too much pressure on themselves the reality is you're not too far away you're never too far away in a pro season guys just don't really care you kind of grind through it. You got 150, 160 games. It doesn't matter. College guys stress so much. They think the draft's coming up. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. You, you don't. You have to just slow the game down. Try to do something that makes you feel comfortable. And just get up there and compete. Right. You mentioned uh, maybe wearing a pitch. Uh, I didn't ask you this last time, but I, I, you know, obviously you're you're no you're not known for this. You're known for winning a national title. But I think for Vandy fans, they kind of look back and remember that. Um, you know, partly when your name is called and I'm not sure who you guys were playing, but, but there's a couple pictures uh, online with you kind of, you know, reaching for your neck. And, and obviously I was watching it live and it, it, it did not look fun, uh, fun for you out there. So what do you remember about that? And, uh, you know, do you have any stories that kind of go along with that? Cause man, that, I mean, that was, if, if Twitter was as lively as it was back in 2014, I think you might be a meme. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Social media now, I can only imagine the things that, you know, our team did back then and and how we'd be just posted all over the internet. It's probably a good thing that, you know, social media wasn't as popular back then. But, you know, it's one of those things where um, tough to see, you know, and and, uh, the the shadows at at TD Ameritrade are are really, really tough, um, especially at that game time. And, you know, the the guy was a big leaguer, Tyler Alexander on the mound and, and TCU, they were an unbelievable team. And, um, you know, what do I remember from that? I remember us winning that game and it being a huge turning point. I remember coach Corbin, um, sending, um, personal masseuse up to my room twice a day to to keep everything loose because my whole body was in spasm, my neck, back of my, my head, all those little muscles back there, my entire back, my shoulders, my down through my hamstrings. Cause you know, you get hit like that in the throat, the muscles there are so thin, everything tightens up and goes into spasm. So in order for me to stay loose and play, I mean, Corbin had literally a personal masseuse come to the room literally two, three times a day to make sure that everything was loose enough so I can continue playing up to my abilities. Um, and I'm so thankful for that because I don't think I would have been able to do that otherwise. And, um, you know, I remember winning an unbelievable game that night. And, uh, you know, crazy some of the things crazy. that happened. Crazy. I don't know another program that would uh, bring up a, a personal masseuse. That, that's Corbin for you. Yeah. But, uh, Rhett, let's get back into this team uh, kind of as we wrap it up here. Obviously a tough four-game stretch coming up. You got A&M at home. Uh, that'll start on a Thursday night. Um, so I, you know, you got to imagine. I think some guys will will, will enjoy playing on a Thursday night. Uh, but right. you got at Georgia next week, and then at Arkansas after that, and then LSU at home. So obviously a tough stretch. You went through some tough stretches, of course, uh, at Vanderbilt like this. Right. I mean, it, it's the SEC. I mean, you go through the whole season is a tough stretch, you could say. Um, but what what has to happen for for you as you know the fan you are to kind of feel confident? Okay, I think I think this team is is a regional host. I think this is a top 16 seed. What do you need to see? And then I guess in the win-loss column, what has to happen here down the stretch? You know, Billy, they're playing really good baseball right now. And and what wins championships is not hitting. It just isn't. It's pitching and defense. And that's just what I want to see, just cleaned up. And, and it's clean right now. They're playing great. They're pitching unbelievable. How do you pitch better than you pitch this weekend at Kentucky? You know, they're pitching great. They're playing good defense. 
Um, Enrique Bradfield is a human highlight reel. The guy just is just unbelievable. He he he. I thought I played with some great center fielders, and I did. Connor Harrell was an, an incredible mm-hmm. center fielder. Um, Brian Reynolds, outrageous, right? Jaron Kendall, those are the guys that you think about. Enrique Bradfield, pff, he's on another <laughs> level. I mean, he's made like three or four catches where I've I've said that's the best catch I've ever seen. Um, from a college outfielder or nonetheless from a Vanderbilt outfielder ever. And I've seen a lot of Vanderbilt outfielders. I've played with a lot of them, and and it's not even close. Um, so playing really good defense, the outfield defense, you know, is is incredibly, incredibly important because it's, you know, a one little screw up gives an extra base. It's it's the only it's the only position where you can barely screw up and give a two base error and give two free nineties. You just can't do it. So outfield defense is extremely important. And, and especially when you have different guys playing left field, right? You got Spencer Jones and right pretty much every day. You got Enrique who's not moving from center, but you got Vastine and you got Vaz and you get some other guys being plugged out and left. It's just consistent, consistent, consistent. We just need to make sure we're hitting cutoffs, which everybody's doing. I, it's been phenomenal really good defense. The the infield just has to continue to play tight defense. I think Bulger's come a long way. I think Keegan's come a long way behind the dish. They both look really good, especially Keegan throwing guys out. He's come crazy. If you remember the beginning of the season, guys were running all over him left mm-hmm. and right. He's tightened that up a lot. Pitchers are doing a better job holding guys on. Keegan looks so much more comfortable behind the plate for a guy that has barely caught before this year. He looks so good. Bulger's getting a lot better back there as well. Um, so it's about tightening up the defense and continuing to pitch well. Real quick here, Rhett, before I let you go, uh, Nick Maldonado is a guy that is kind of slowly getting back into a rhythm. He, he got into the 30s, his pitch count did against Kentucky in his outing, yeah. uh, kind of limited outing on Sunday. Uh, but for this team, ha- I mean, he's a preseason All-American type of guy. He, he's right. a guy that, you know, they envision really, really helping uh, this pitching staff. So with Nick Maldonado back, what, what you know, obviously he's not 100% right, right now. He's he's not starting any games, but, um, you know, we're expecting to see a little bit more of him on Saturday or, you know, whatever, whatever day he pitches against A&M. But how, how important do you think he could be down the stretch here with just having another arm? But he's not really just another arm. I mean, that, that's Nick Maldonado out there. Well, he's it. I mean, that's the piece. I mean, you get him back and you win. You, you, you don't get him back, you're not going to win it. You know, it's, it's going to be really hard to win a championship. It's going to be really hard to win the postseason. Um, you look at the bullpen. The bullpen's been one of, um, you know, the 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 toughest um, parts of the team as far as being able to come in and close the door. I think for the most part this year, I think the starting pitching has been phenomenal. Um, you look at this entire year, it's been unbelievable. Uh, better than a lot of years. But the thing is, you don't realize it as much because you don't think the offense is putting up as many runs. Mm-hmm. So you don't understand how important and how good the starting pitching has really been. I mean, you got Carter Holton out there who every time he goes out there, he keeps guys in the game. I mean, get Futrell keeps everybody in the game. Uh, McIlvain, everybody in the game. I mean, every single time you're in every game, right? So that one piece that they've been missing is the absolute shutdown guys out of the bullpen. Now, Christian Little, obviously, if he pitches like he did on, on Friday – that's how I think he can pitch um, if he believes that he can pitch like that. You know, that's the confidence that he needs to have. But having a guy like Maldonado, I mean, you add him, whether he starts or whether he comes out of the bullpen, it doesn't matter because if he comes out of the, if, if he starts, you move one of your starters now to the pen. That's another great guy that you can use out of the pen. But you need pitching to win in the postseason. You need pitching to win down the stretch. It's the most important aspect of this thing. So they need him to come prepared and ready to go if they want to win we'll see how much we see maldonado but uh, we'll see if vandy's able to get it done it's this weekend it starts thursday night uh rhett i know you'll be watching and uh i know we talked off air but we're gonna try to keep this rolling we'll, we'll check back off with you next week rhett and and uh maybe we'll get a rhythm going here with some of the vandy fans listening but rhett as always it's so great to catch up with you and uh we'll we'll, we'll see you next week sounds good thanks billy